Hello, podcast world, and welcome to Deeply Spiritual, but Rather Uncertain. If you've been following the podcast the last couple of episodes, you know we've been talking about seeing the things of Christianity from both sides now and the journey that it takes to get there. If you haven't listened to the last two episodes, I would encourage you to do that so you know what the heck we're talking about here. But after the last episode, I had a discussion with one of my sons that makes me want to start this episode with something that might need a bit of clarification. It may sound like I'm talking about these three stages of development in our faith journey as destinations. They're not. Stage three is not a destination or a goal that we're trying to achieve. This is actually just about a journey, a continuing journey in our lives that's always moving forward. I want to try to explain it with this illustration. My wife and I love hiking. When we lived in South Africa, every chance we got, we headed to the Drakensberg Mountains for a few days of hiking in the beautiful green hills there. And we have such amazing memories of those days. In fact, in our RV, there hangs a picture of a mountain range in the Drakensberg called the Amphitheater that we've hiked up numerous times, and it might be one of our favorite places on the planet. Now that we're back in the States, we hike every time we can find a good trail. Recently, we were in the Smoky Mountains National Park, and we did some hiking there. There are also some great trails around Nashville that we have enjoyed. My point is that when you hike, you're following a trail. Sometimes it's well-marked and sometimes not. Sometimes you're in this like dense forest where it's dark and damp and, and then you're not sure you're on the trail and you wonder if you've gotten off the trail, but you keep going and then you come to this beautiful opening in the trees where the air is bright and clear. There are wildflowers in the meadow and the, the sunshine changes the temperature within just a few steps. And you realize, no, 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 I'm on the right trail. This is good. When you look at the map, it seems to make a lot more sense in the clarity of that moment. So you continue forward, only to find yourself back in the forest eventually, trying to stay on the right trail. There have been plenty of times when Sheila and I have gotten off the trail. No, not on purpose, but because we've come to a place where there's like a choice to make, left or right, and there's nothing marked and there's no Google map to guide us. So we make the best choice we can. Sometimes we quickly realize that we're wrong and we go back. And other times we go a long way before we wander through and finally get back on the path. But that is all a part of the journey. The process of our spiritual journey and our deconstruction is much like that. Sometimes things are clear, sometimes they're not. What was clear yesterday is confusing today. Yesterday I seemed to see the clouds from both sides, but today I'm 
back to just seeing them as blocking the sun and sending the rain. My point is that our spiritual journey is exactly that, a journey. It's not a destination or a goal we're trying to achieve. It's about moving forward wherever you are. Okay, so with that, let's talk about how we see God. I believe that our view of God deeply influences every part of our lives. Even if you don't believe in God at all, that influences how you live your life. So this discussion really matters. For many of us in stage one Christianity, we saw God in terms of requirements, rewards, and punishment. And there's a very good reason for this because of our literalistic view of the Bible. So, for example, listen to these words of Deuteronomy chapter 11. You have a choice. Do you want the Lord to bless you or do you want him to put a curse on you? Today I am giving you his laws and if you obey him, he will bless you. But if you disobey him and worship those gods that have never done anything for you, the Lord will put a curse on you. So there's no question that our spiritual ancestors saw God in this way. Blessings and curses, requirements, rewards, and punishment. In fact, all the known world at that time saw their gods in this exact same way. In our post-Jesus Christianity, we speak a lot about grace, the unmerited favor of God. But we're pretty quick to add that grace isn't really free. Bonhoeffer coined the phrase, cheap grace. He said that grace is costly. It cost Jesus his life, and it cost you your life. It seems that in this version of Christianity, Grace is actually a reward. Most Christian doctrine in stage one boils down to what happens when you die, heaven or hell. Salvation is about whether you go to heaven when you die or you go to this place of eternal torture and punishment. All of our evangelism is centered around the question of heaven and hell. In fact, Many of us learn this question to begin our evangelistic conversations. If you were to die tonight and God stood at the gates of heaven and asked you, why should I let you in? What would you say? And if you said, I was a really good person. I obeyed my parents. I fed the poor. I loved my wife. Eh, wrong answer. The only thing that matters was, did you believe in Jesus? Heaven or hell? rewards, or punishment. I remember when I was a teenager, we used to have these long Christian debates over what was called eternal security, or sometimes they would use the phrase, once saved, always saved. So if I say the prayer asking Jesus into my heart, and then I'm a horrible person, will I still get to heaven? Or if I'm a really good Christian for a long time, but then I backslide, Will I get to heaven? It seemed that there was some kind of a standard of living that was rewarded or punished, but nobody ever really knew what the line was. So if I went to movies, did that kick me out? Or if I smoked, 
or drank? I mean, what happened then? Was I in or was I out? Our view of God was as the great judge in the sky. We read all of our scriptures in that way. All of our doctrine and theology was seen through that filter. All of our life choices were viewed through that filter. In my opinion, this way of seeing God leads us to a fear-based religion. In fear-based religion, I'm afraid that my sin might mess me up. One wrong belief might send me into eternal torture. And all that starts with our understanding of Genesis 3 and the theology of the fall. It goes like this. We are all separated from God because of Adam and Eve's sin when they ate the forbidden apple. And if we don't somehow find our way back to God through the cross of Jesus, we are doomed to eternal torture. Fear-based religion often keeps us stuck and unable to move forward. Any new ideas or new understanding of God is unacceptable. We talk about God being unchanging, but what we really mean is that our understanding of God is unchanging. Our theology is unchanging. Our doctrine is unchanging. The way we read the Bible is unchanging. Our morals are unchanging. As a result, we can't move forward. We are stuck in a fear-based religion. That kind of Christianity also makes us feel entitled, kind of like the older brother in the prodigal son story. Okay, God, I've been here my whole life serving you, not swerving to the left or to the right, so what is go what's it going to get me? And if it doesn't get me anything in this world, at least a mansion in glory must be in order. I deserve some kind of reward. And the truth is that all that makes perfect sense when our view of God is requirements, rewards, and punishment. It all makes perfect sense to see God in this way if we read the Bible literally, because there are plenty of verses that support this kind of thinking in both the Old and New Testaments. For many of us, though, in our spiritual journey, something begins to shift. We let go of an image of God that is all about requirements. We let go of the idea that the fall has cursed all of humanity and separated us from God. That was a hard one for me. Being separated from God is at the heart of the requirements, rewards, and punishment view of God. The fall creates the problem that needs to be solved. The problem? Because of what Adam and Eve did, we are all born into sin. And because of that, God has turned his back on us. So what do we do to fix that? For many of us, we have let go of that view of God and replaced it with a view of love and justice. At least that's the term that Marcus Borg gives it. We come to believe that we were never separated from God in the first place. 
We might have been estranged from God because of our actions that led to shame, but never separated. There is not some problem between me and God that needs to be solved. There's not a massive divide that needs to be crossed. We don't need to be forgiven. We just need to live into the relationship that is already there. The prodigal son is such a pivotal story in the New Testament to help us see this. The prodigal was never separated from his father in spite of his outrageous behavior. When he returned, there was nothing to do to regain sonship. He never lost it. His father had never turned him his back on him because of his sin. He just had to live into the relationship that was already there. There was no forgiveness necessary. Here's something really interesting. Put the stories of Genesis 3, where Adam and Eve sinned, up against the story that Jesus tells of the prodigal son. It seems to me they actually contradict each other. I've never actually put these stories together like this until now, until I was writing this podcast. Adam and Eve sinned. They ate the forbidden fruit and they were cast out of the garden and never allowed to return. Their relationship with God was ended. They were cursed, and their children and their grandchildren and their great-grandchildren were cursed. In fact, all of humanity was cursed forever. So in the prodigal story, this young man sinned against his father. And in the culture of the day, it was about as bad a sin as it could be. Jesus used the most horrible sin he could think of in this story, the kind that would make the audience gasp as he told it. But the prodigal wasn't thrown out. He was welcomed back. He might have thought he was thrown out, but he never actually was. His father was actually longing for his return. There were no guards at the road to the house to keep him out. In Genesis 3, there are guards at the gate to Eden, keeping Adam and Eve from ever returning. The father of the prodigal never turned his back on his son. There was no sacrificial lamb required. Could it be that Jesus was completely contradicting the view of God that the Jews had of rewards and punishment? I really think he was. These two stories back to back just don't seem to make sense any other way. Let's talk about the consequences of our actions. When I speak about this view of God being love and justice, I'm not saying there are no consequences to my action. Every action has a consequence. Sometimes it's good, sometimes it's bad. If I only eat junk food, I will get fat. Nothing changes that. We've all heard about parents who tried to remove all the consequences for the actions of their children. When the kids were in trouble, the parents bailed them out. When they got caught drinking and driving, the parents got a good lawyer and the charges were dropped. I think we would all agree that that is not love. 
As a loving parent, I don't remove the consequences for my children's action, nor do I turn my back on them because of their actions, but I will walk through them, through the consequences. I will be there every step of the way. I'll speak into their lives when the time is right, not in a judgmental way, but in a loving and caring way. And then in the end, I hope that all of that combined would bring some kind of transformation in their lives. When we speak of God being a God of love and justice, we're not for a second saying that God removes all the consequences for our actions. In stage one, we're talking about changed behavior. Do this action and you'll be rewarded. Do this action and you'll be punished. In Christianity, we talk a lot about repentance. In stage one, repentance is about changing your behavior, changing what you believe. It goes something like this. First of all, you've got to believe in Jesus, that he was born of a virgin in Bethlehem, that he did incredible miracles throughout his lifetime, that he was crucified and rose again, and that his death and resurrection takes away your sin. What we don't say in the beginning is that you also have to believe in the Bible, but it's kind of implied because how else will you know how to believe in all this stuff about Jesus? But then secondly, you need to change your behavior. There seems to be a list of things here that are more important. So sexual behavior seems to be at the top of the list of things, while other things like racism or white supremacy are much lower. But repentance is important. So in stage one, if repentance is about changing your beliefs and your behavior, in stage three, repentance is about changing your mind. It's about seeing things differently. It's about letting go. It doesn't have anything to do with belief or behavior. And seeing things differently leads to freedom. It leads to transformation. Stage one thinking goes something like this. Here's what you need to believe, and here are the behavioral things that need to be in place. Stage three is more like, here is a path you can follow. Sometimes the way will be clear, sometimes not. You might get off the path once in a while, but that's okay. Don't worry about that too much. Just enjoy the beauty of the journey. And oh, by the way, there's another path over there. And there's another one over there. Just take the path that is yours to follow and follow it. Wait a minute, Skip. Are you saying that all roads lead to God? No, I'm not. Some roads lead to narcissism. Some roads lead to white supremacy. Some roads lead to unforgiveness and bitterness. But when you see God in terms of love and justice, wouldn't it make more sense that he would create more than one path? You just need to follow the path that suits you. So let's briefly talk about the justice side of that phrase that Marcus Borg uses, love and justice. He says that justice is the social side of love. It's true love in action. 
We've spoken before at length about justice not being penal justice, but rather restorative justice. Justice is about speaking out for those who have no voice. It's about standing with the marginalized and the outsiders and the oppressed. In stage one, we understand God is always being on the side of the religious, the ones who keep the law, the ones who meet the requirements. In stage three, we understand God is being on the side of the oppressed and the marginalized. When we come to the point of seeing God in terms of love and justice, it changes how we see the world and it changes how we show up in the world. As we bring this to a conclusion, let me take a few minutes to talk about a couple of the questions that come up from time to time. Can God be both? Like, like can we see God as both requirements, rewards, and punishment, as well as a God of love and justice? And some people are very comfortable with the tension between the two. I've given this a lot of thought, and personally, I just can't come to terms with the both and in this case. Some of my dearest friends hold this position, and I respect them, and I respect their position. But for me, either God has rejected us or not. Either we are separated from God or we aren't. I can't see the both and in that. Either God judges us or not. I spoke about the consequences of our actions a little earlier. And to reiterate that, I do believe that there are consequences, but I don't believe those are the judgments of God. I don't believe that God is like the parent who has finally had enough of the kids fighting in the back seat, and then he threatens them with an inch of their lives. I've done that, by the way, on more than one occasion. I just can't see the both and in this situation. Another question I hear from time to time is, aren't you afraid that you're making God in your own image? I would suggest that's what we've been doing since the beginning of the Bible. I mean, if we're honest as we read the Bible, we realize that different writers had different views of God. Some writers paint God as if all that matters are the requirements of the law. Read Leviticus, for example. The regulation seems to be all that matters. But then read Amos, who says that God is sick and tired of all your religious activity. God is sick and tired of all that Leviticus stuff. These two writers don't seem to actually have the same view of God. If God is truly beyond our understanding, what else can we do but make God in our own image? What else can we do but try to fashion God in a way that makes sense to us? I believe the danger comes when we emphatically say, I know what God is like. God is exactly like this. In other words, we have to hold our view of God quite loosely. And we have to acknowledge that we can only see through these glasses dimly. But what makes sense to me and to many that I know that God is a God of truth and justice and that filter changes pretty much everything. 
changes how I look at political issues, both here in America and in South Africa. If God is a God of love and justice that always stands on the side of the marginalized and the oppressed, man, that's got to change my view of politics. It changes my view of queer people. No longer are they strange people that have chosen to disobey God, but rather human beings created just as they are in the image of God, like I am. People who are looking for their path in this world just like I am. It changes my view on the poor who live in tents and beg on the street corners. It changes my view of the immigrants who are pouring into South Africa from Congo or Mozambique. It changes my view on people from Mexico and South America pouring across the southern border of the USA. Over the last five years especially, I have been changed in every way as my view of God has shifted. As I've gone from understanding God as a God of requirements, rewards, and punishment to a God of love and justice. As a result, the way I show up in the world has gone from an attitude of trying to change the world to letting the world change me. I've gone from seeing Christianity as rules to follow and things to do to rather letting go of all that and just allowing the journey to transform who I am. So what is your view of God? It matters. Next time we're going to talk about seeing Jesus from both sides now. I hope you'll join me then. In the meantime, if you want to follow me on social media, the links are below. See you next time. Shalom. Shalom.